This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. This episode of Vet Candy is sponsored by Alanco Animal Health, makers of Ultra Duramune, a more comfortable vaccine. to another episode of Vet Candies in Other News, a podcast to expand your idea of what impacting veterinarians, the veterinary world, and all animal care professionals as humans. I am your co-host, Dr. Jen. Uh, what? There's no Dr. Jason. Dr. Jason is not here today. It's just a couple of ladies. But you can still get a free subscription to, to Vet Candy. Go to myvetcandy.com. And you can still send me lovely messages at jen at myvetcandy.com. So our topic today is preventive medicine. In other news, prevention works. Yeah, prevention works. And so we're going to talk today in the Candyverse with an expert. She owns multiple practices. She speaks multiple languages. And she's a champion fencer. That's right. If you, if you thought that I was going to bring in Dr. Marta Sanchez Emden, you're right. So Dr. Marta is joining us in the Candyverse. Welcome, Dr. Marta. Hey, hey. How are you, Dr. Jen? Happy to be here with you. Us girls. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming to the Candyverse. I know I keep looking over at like my empty chair, like there should be one there. Because Jason's not here, but that's okay because um, I want to nerd out a little bit and talk about one of my favorite topics, actually several of them. So number one, you own multiple practices. Yes, I do. I have two practices in Florida. And it's funny because I still remember to this day about maybe 18, 19 years ago when my one of my bosses told me, Marta, you know, you're a single mom. You will never be able to have a practice, even if you want to. And there he is. (laughs) Are you kidding me? That's true. It's a true story. Wow. That's incredible. And you know what? I really didn't think about owning my own practice until he said that. And I went like, huh, so maybe that should be my next goal. That's right. I was just going to say, and you went, huh, all right then, challenge accepted. Right? Exactly. You've been served. That's right. (laughs) You've been served, right? The gauntlet is tossed. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I, I must say I'm very impressed because I have owned two practices, but not at the same time. (laughs) At the same time, I would think it'd be a lot to manage because I know you're also a mom. Yes, I'm a mom. I have two kids. One is 28. The other one is 12. Big difference in between. And I, it's very difficult. It's impossible to do it by yourself. So I have a husband that supports me. He's been on the veterinary field for over 25 years. So that's, that's a big help. And, and I can say that thanks for his help. I've been able to do it because it's difficult to be a mom and to be a practitioner that is an owner of the practice also. It's very hard. It is hard, but that's not all you do. If that was all you would do, maybe, maybe you could, maybe you could handle all of those things happening, all of those um, irons in the fire, but you do more than that. <laughs> and uh, I, I have to say, I'm always hearing about places you've been. You were just in Cairo. Is that right? That's correct. I was in Egypt in October when we could still travel in the 
yeah. world championship for senior for senior uh, fencers. Oh I've been practicing God. fencing for many, many years. And it's not something new when I, before bed school, like before bed school, remember that? <laughs> I used to fence on the national well. team for my country. And okay. when I, there came the time where you have to decide, I got accepted to bed school. I was living in Puerto Rico and I had to make a decision. It's like keep fencing and continue with the international level competitions or go to bed school. Yeah. I decided to go to bed school and in bed school, I did a little bit of fencing actually oh, in wow. a nearby wow. university, but it's difficult. It's really hard. And then I got pregnant in bed school too. So fencing wait had a minute. to wait and I started fencing a few years ago. Wait a minute. After wait I had my kids and after Dr. I had Marta. Dr. Marta, wait, back the truck up. Did you say that not only were you fencing a little bit, you were continuing to dabble in fencing in veterinary school, you're going to vet school and you had a baby? Yeah, I, I, um, it wasn't planned and I got pregnant the second year of vet school when you have the blocks and it's a year that you really have to do all the memorization. And I had my baby because I didn't think there was an option like quit vet school. Why? Why? That's, that's a crazy idea. So yeah. I, I had my baby in med school and when I graduated, my baby was two years of age and I remember the graduation holding him on my arms with my diploma and the rest of my classmates. And I'm really proud of it. And that baby is now the one that I said is 28, going to be 29. How fantastic. So How fantastic. Everything, you, everything you want to do can be done. Just you have to be organized and just keep your goal in mind. Yes, I love it. I love it. So we're going to take a quick break, but then Dr. Marta and I are going to get down to some business. Um, we're going to talk about how do you effectively market and reach different populations in your community so that you can talk about preventive medicine. So hang with us and we'll see you on the other side. When it comes to vaccines, you have a choice. Keep it clean with Ultra Duramune. These highly purified half-milliliter dose vaccines are designed to minimize the reactions associated with unwanted proteins and reduce discomfort. Keep the good, clean fun going with Ultra Duramune. Learn more at elaineco.us. Oh, sure. It's all fun and games until someone ends up in a cone. That's right. We are animals. Deal with it. Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. So uh, we are talking with Dr. Marta Sanchez Emden, who um, I think may fly around. I think she commutes potentially in an invisible jet. I'm not certain of it, but I think she might. This sounds crazy, all the things that she's doing, but there's a key to that, um, to her success. And we're going to dip down into that. I want to talk about you come from a different culture than I do, and but we're the same profession. And I think that you probably have used that as an advantage to provide care to a wide array of pet owners. So tell me about that. So I was raised in Puerto Rico and I moved to the United States when I went to bed school. Oh my gosh. Cultural shock. There was no social media or anything at those times. So when I went to Alabama from all the places, it was a big cultural shock. Yeah. <laughs> Puerto Rico to Alabama. <laughs> 
And uh, I can tell you that I didn't understand the accent of the South by that time. And people didn't understand my accent. But when I graduated, I came to Miami. I practiced in Miami. And in Miami, I have owners, but owners from Brazil. They speak only Portuguese. And I have a yeah. lot of people from Latin America. I have a lot of Europeans. So we have learned to communicate with many of those pet owners that might speak a little bit of English or might be fluent on English or not at all. And it's important to keep in mind that they come from different cultures. And many times they have medical records with uh, all the work done by their veterinarians in their countries. And we have to modify and continue what they were doing in their country. Oh, wow. It's a little bit different from the way we practice here. Yeah, wow. It's very, it's very interesting. I really enjoy practicing in a city that has so many people from so many cultures. Yeah, that's pretty incredible because I, I know Portuguese is not Spanish. <laughs> it's not even close. <laughs> it's not. And actually, I, in my opinion, it's more complicated. And But you can, with the, if you use English, Spanish, and Portuguese together, yes. you might be able to communicate. And that's how we do it in, in my practice. But you know what? The one thing that I also had a practice that was the majority of our clients were bilingual or Spanish speaking only. And I was on the border um, of Texas with Mexico. And in fact, my practice was, I think, about two miles from the border. And so, um, yeah, we, we had to learn to communicate. But one thing that was evident, no matter what language they spoke, what language we spoke, they loved their pets. Everybody that came, they were there because they loved their pets and they wanted help for their pet. And so that made it a lot easier because we both had a vested interest in communicating with each other over the top of the little dog <laughs> that was in front of me. Yeah. And do you find that? I thought that this is very interesting is that many times some Latin families, you talk to the father, but then the mother calls you and you need to talk to her. And then the daughter calls you and you have to tell the story to everyone because they're so close to their pet. And yeah, it, that's true universally. But I think yeah. that in the Latin family, sometimes it's even Agreed. more to the point that you're almost telling the owners, whatever you talk to your daughter and to your son and to your wife, do you want me just to send an email so everybody is... Right. <laughs> no. But, but it, it's a good... Yeah, 100%. 100%. It was the same thing. There'd be a whole team of folks that were there and every single member of the team had a vote. And so they all had to get the information so that we could, every, I could, I had to get everyone to buy in. And I agree with you. I think that is to some degree unique to the Latin culture, at least in my experience. But, uh, but I thought it was great because I tell you what, there was no doubt what we were going to do with that pet. By the end of it all, <laughs> when the, when the whole team knew what was, what we were doing, Everyone had their say. We were moving forward very confidently. So there, there are advantages to that piece of the culture there. Now, I was going to say that one mistake that I see a lot of veterinarians from U.S. make when they have a client that has an accent and, and they speak broken English is that they assume that they don't understand the medical conditions oh, and yeah. they talk like they're talking to a little kid. And we have to keep in mind that many of the immigrants from Latin countries or other countries that mm -hmm. come here, many times they may not speak the language 100%, the English 100% correctly, but these people may be PhD, there might be medical doctors, they may be professors at the universities in their country. So just because they have an accent or they don't speak perfect English doesn't mean you can talk at their level. So that's why it's important many times maybe to have a 
somebody working, a technician or a receptionist that hopefully is bilingual or have the information, written information in their language, in Spanish or in Portuguese or in whatever language that person uh, is their first language. Yeah, I, I do think that's important because if we if we talk about the concept of informed consent in order to treat a pet, you have to make sure if you know for a fact that this client, this pet owner, that English is not their first language, then you really have to make sure that they understand what you're saying. But what I did find very helpful um, when I was doing work down in South America and Central America, because my Spanish was probably at about the level of a three or four year old. <laughs> however, however, no, 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 let's not try, <laughs> Dr. Marta. But what I did find was that medical terms frequently translate very readily because they're Latin-based. And so whether I was talking with somebody who was um, from Chile, from Argentina, from Mexico, or a few times from Italy, which was very interesting, we could talk about medicine with not a lot of effort uh, be because the terms were similar. It's true, but some terms, are late terms are completely different. For example, I get a lot of people that the husband brings a letter from the wife. Hey, yeah. Dr. Sanchez, can you check the skin? It's red. Also, it's limping from the right side. And there's some jagas on the head. And they put jagas, it says, work in Spanish. So they use this Spanglish yes. that I don't mind because I understand. But jagas is a secreting ulcer. And, oh. and it's, a, it's completely different. So, yes, you're correct. Many of the words are from the Latin, the medical words. But the later words are woof, are everywhere. That's, yeah, that's right. And, and, and it depends on what region of what country that anyone is from. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so I find it very helpful. So if you had to make w like one, okay, maybe two, but really one recommendation to practitioners who may find themselves living in an area where there is a population of folks who don't speak English as their first language. And let's say it's not Spanish either, because that's cheating for you <laughs> because you speak Spanish very well. But let's say they speak, um, I don't know, Chinese. Maybe they speak Mandarin or maybe they speak Farsi right? Or something like this. What is the one most important recommendation that you would make to that practitioner in order to reach out effectively to that population of folks? Well, you asked me for one, but I'm going, I want to, I want to. First, the main information about vaccines and preventive care, I would have it on paper on their language, on that language. And number two, as a practitioner what, that wants to enrich their knowledge, I think that that person should be an effort to learn a little bit about that language. That would be a really good idea. I mean, it can only help you. So like even just a greeting, even just like a greeting, like good morning or, or good day or how are you? Just something. Yes, but why not a little bit more than that? <laughs> if you can, if you have the time. I know it's difficult. I know practitioners are very uh, busy, but why not? Like, yes, greetings. Yes, thank you. Yes, goodbye. But try it a little bit more than that. Who knows? You might a little be, bit more. become fluent in Chinese Mandarin. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so the kind of the trap that happens to me is that if, if I get really good at delivering, you know, an opening phrase and then the person, they get very excited and they start talking to me in the other language. And I'm like, wow, stop. What? <laughs> now we've exhausted all I know. <laughs> yeah, it, ha it happens. You know what happens to me that I, I, I'm talking to a person that has an accent in English and I'm sure they speak Spanish. So I switch to Spanish like that. And I realize they don't know Spanish that well because they weren't born here. They're yeah. second or third generation or they speak Italian. The main language is Italian or Portuguese and the accent in English sounds similar to mine. 
yes. but it's yes. not Spanish. Yeah. So it happens a lot. So I first have to kind of like try to see what language they prefer. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's, a, it's like a game. I like it. It is. It is. As long as uh, everyone's having a good time at the game, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. As long as you're not rushed, right? And you're not talking about euthanasias and things like that. So <laughs> sometimes it's a good. So then um, you mentioned that it would be good to have the kind of your, your standard protocols or some, your like routine client um, information sheets in that language. Is there any source that you might recommend for translation? Because, you know, you don't want to translate it wrong, right? You don't, you don't want to have it be incorrect. And then, you know, so how, how, um, would you recommend that folks make sure that they are getting an accurate translation? So, you know, Jen, there's many of the pharmaceutical companies that offer that information in Spanish for practitioners for free. Forget about Google Translate. Google Translate doesn't translate properly. So don't use that. I think another good idea is the invoices or the labels with the instructions for the medication should be in Spanish because that that's a big source of mistakes. When you put a label, you write the label in English and the person doesn't speak English, they yeah. can uh, accidentally give the wrong dose or in the wrong form. Oh my gosh, yeah. Software you use is important. Some of the software will translate for you automatically. That's interesting. You know, even if they do speak English and I put it in English on the label, they still sometimes end up putting the eye ointment in the ear. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's not always a case of a different language, right? <laughs> Breathing carefully and listening to the doctor, listening to the instructions. And so I want to make sure um, and ask you about this. So one of my favorite pathogens, as the news hounds in the Candyverse are well aware, is lepto, right? I do like lepto. I don't like to get lepto, right? But I, I like lepto as a pathogen because it's worldwide, it's present everywhere, and uh, it's one that we can prevent with a vaccination. But it's one that seems to be difficult to get a lot of folks to recognize the need for prevention. And so I wonder if maybe you would have um, some tips or how do you communicate effectively, especially if we were going to talk about like a, a Latin American population, if I were going to want to effectively talk about the importance of prevention, especially for something like lepto. Lepto for me is not difficult at all. And the reason is because many of the people from Latin America or Latin descent, there's one disease they know is leptospirosis. Why? Because it's, it's very common in subtropical and tropical areas like the Caribbean, the northern part of South America and Central America. And it's a disease that will flare up when there's hurricanes oh, yeah. and where there's major climate disasters. So Everybody's yeah. pretty aware. And it's, it's a vaccine that when I say, you know, your dog hasn't been vaccinated now in two years and for the lepto, it needs it. They're the first one that say, oh my God, go ahead and get the lepto vaccine. So leptospirosis is very important. It's zoonotic. And just like rabies, thank God most people are aware of, of its uh, prevalence. Now, on the northern area of the United States, because I don't practice in that area, I don't know, you can tell me, is it more difficult there in, in the northern United States? It can be because it's yet another vaccination and there's all these myths on the internet about the lepto uh, vaccine uh, reactions and stuff because, you know, originally the lepto vaccines that came out on the market like, you know, 20 years ago were not not as good as, you know, we're galaxies better at making vaccines than we were then. And so so it can be difficult. It can be difficult to get practitioners to, <laughs> to recognize the value of the, of the lepto vaccine. But that's interesting. So that's another reason to reach out to an underserved population because I don't have to educate. They're already fully aware 
of some of these pathogens. Yeah. And you know when some some of the the, the my patients that travel during Christmas or summertime to their countries, many of the countries will require not only leptospirosis to travel back, but also I mean re- not only rabies but also leptospirosis. So okay. it's required by many countries for the animal to enter. So it is a really important vaccine and, and I most people that I know in my little world, in my geographic yeah. area are aware of it. Oh, how fantastic. Well, that's great news. But you know what? I, I got to tell you, that's a, that is an advantage. That's an advantage of a cultural difference right there for those pets and, and for their veterinarians. And so, uh, yeah. So anything else that you want um, practitioners who maybe uh, have that Southern accent like me? <laughs> that's our accent. Anything else like one more useful tip like that? Because that's incredible to realize that about different areas. No, no, you're just, you know, be, be, I know sometimes we get really busy and it's difficult to communicate with the clients, even, even if their first language is English, just be patient and, and remember that we all love our animals regardless of our race. So yes. let's celebrate the, the love for animals and take care of all our pet owners. Yes. And you know what? I, I, I will, I will second that. It's not like owners were trying as hard as they could to understand my three or four year old Spanish <laughs> because yeah. they didn't like their pet, right? They were trying as hard as they could because of their deep love for their pet. And I think that that's universal. And uh, perhaps if we can remind ourselves of those things we have in common, it makes it a lot easier. And it makes a lot more sense for us as practitioners to reach out to those populations that are a little different from us in our area. Yeah. And Jen, remember that not everybody can afford veterinary care. Absolutely. And, and one of the goals for me have been to reach Latin populations that cannot afford veterinary care. And I have done it through the media. I have, I do work in Telemundo. I work for many years in Univision and I work on CNN, CNN Spanish also. And the reason is because I want the people that cannot afford veterinary care to have the latest on medical techniques and preventive care on diseases have now with the coronavirus to understand where the facts are. So we have to take care of everybody, all pet owners, regardless where they came from or if they can afford veterinary care or not. Then that, we kind of consider right. ourselves successful veterinarians. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And because to me, as soon as you seek help for your pet, you're a good owner because you didn't have to do that. You didn't, A, you recognized that your pet needed something and B, you did whatever it was that you could, which doesn't just necessarily mean having funding, but you did whatever you could to find help to take care of your pet. And I think that's critically important. It really is why we do what we do to try to take care of the entire family and make sure that um, they can all live together safely. And so I think that's wonderful. Um, and you just, you kind of undersold that a little bit. I think you are the veterinarian for Telemundo. <laughs> I don't think you do some work with Telemundo. <laughs> I think you are the veterinarian. Well, yeah, I've been, I was a resident veterinarian for Univision and for many years, like seven years. I'm the resident veterinarian for Telemundo now and for CNN also. And it's solely for the Spanish media. And yeah. I'm really happy that I can do that. And, and I, it makes me feel that I'm helping not only yeah. my patients locally, but these channels are national and international. So I feel that I can pass information, important information for all the pet owners out there that don't speak English. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. I think it's fantastic. I wish that I could still speak Spanish, even if only at my three or four year old <laughs> level. <laughs> We could 
could broadcast, we could do an episode of Another News from your practice. That would be so fabulous. Yes, I love it. I love it. So, uh, folks, um, this has been a wonderful conversation with uh, just us girls here talking about how to reach those underserved populations and hearing about Dr. Marta Sanchez Emden and everything she's doing to put the profession forward and to help enhance care for pets all over the world, no matter what language their owners speak. So thank you, Dr. Marta, for joining us in the Candyverse. It was a pleasure. And uh, those of you out there, I'll see you and maybe Dr. Jason on the next episode of In Other News. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.